We're launching a brand new series this morning called Life Hacks. And I don't know when this uh, phrase kind of came into popular uh, terminology, but it's certainly something that, that, that we hear a lot about, life hacks. There are whole websites devoted to life hacks. There are whole YouTube channels devoted to life hacks. Essentially, life hacks uh, could be defined as simple and clever solutions to incredibly annoying problems. And then when you see them, you think, genius. And it's stuff that you and I can do. For example, if you've noticed that the flow rate on your shower head is becoming a little bit compromised, chances are, you can't see it, chances are you've got some calcium and lime deposits that are forming inside the little uh, holes, that's the technical word, in your shower head. And uh, you can scrub and scrub and scrub, but you're not gonna get to do, you know, you, you can get the calcium and lime off the front, but, but it's not gonna help the flow rate. Well, here's a life hack. Plastic bag, Fill it half with water, half with white vinegar, hang it over the shower head, tie it up, leave it overnight, in the morning, take it down, bam, 100% flow rate. Life hack, you're welcome. Here's another one, okay. How many of you have ever uh, re-emerged into a car park and, and forgotten exactly where it is you've parked your car? Has anyone ever done that? You're like, oh my God. Okay, well, so, so if you've got a sort of a more recent uh, car, you'll go around like this, boop, boop, pushing your key fob and you'll, you, you know, maybe your car goes, boop, boop, cool, so you listen for that. Or maybe it doesn't have the beat, but it's got the lights that flick on, so you do that. But after you've done that a few times and you haven't heard any boops or you haven't seen any lights flashing, you think, man, I'm way, way, way off where my car is. So here's a life hack. Take your key fob, you put it under your chin, you push the button and your head acts as a range extender. It's okay, all right. Such a cynical, skeptical audience. I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you some of you are gonna thank me one day. You're gonna test it out and you're gonna go, some of, some of you this week need to deliberately forget where you parked your car, come out of a different exit at the shopping mall, put your key fob to your chin, you're welcome. Who confirmed it? Oh, see, it, exactly. Everyone on the podcast, you're welcome. And I want to talk today about hacking worry with trust. One of the things that I've noticed and undoubtedly many of you have noticed is that, is that worry and anxiety is reaching epidemic proportions in Western society. And there are a lot of reasons for that. But chances are, and I don't have time to go into that, but chances are some of you, even this morning, have walked in here and you feel like you're in a 12-round death match with worry. Maybe you're worried about health. Maybe you're worried about your kids. Maybe you're worried about your job. Maybe you're worried about finances. Maybe you're worried about things that actually haven't even happened yet. And you're just worried because it's unknown and just the fear of the unknown makes you worry. There's such thing as healthy concern. Having a, you know, having a healthy concern about something that, that, that might drive you to some form of action, that, that's good. But it's so easy for healthy concern to cross over into worry. And worry starts to become very, uh, worry starts to, uh, almost feel like it, it's, it can constrict us and strangle us 
to a point where, where we feel like tapping out. It, it ties us up in knots. And if you're someone that worries and you're known for, for, for worrying, there's a chance one of your well-meaning friends has said to you, well, you should just stop worrying so much. And you say back to them, why thank you? I'd never considered that before, <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> or, uh, or if they're a Disney fan, they might say, hey, come on, Hakuna Matata, you know. It means no worries. It's a problem-free philosophy, Hakuna Matata. And you say, and you, but, but if someone does say that to you, again, well-meaning, you can say to them, you understand that that movie was made by the same company that convinced us that Cinderella's carriage was gonna turn into a pumpkin at midnight, right? <laughs> Just a kuna matata. It's a fantasy, people. Thankfully, God has some helpful things to say about how we can hack worry with trust. And, and if you've got your Elevate app installed on your smart device, you can tap the Bible title. It's gonna take you to a letter written by actual one of, actually one of Jesus' original 12 followers, a guy named Peter. And uh, Peter wrote this letter. And this letter that Peter wrote, well, he wrote two. This is the first one. This letter is considered by many to be one of the most relevant letters in the new part of the Bible for you, for you and I today because Peter wrote it to people who were exiled into, into various kind of more remote parts of the known world. Jesus followers, that is, who were exiled, who found themselves living in more remote parts of the known world at the time. And they were very much in the minority, not merely by number, but also by influence. And not only were they in the minority as far as influence goes in these parts of, of the known world, many of them were experiencing hostility as a result of them being Jesus followers. And so Paul wrote to them with that, that's, that was the context of him writing. And, and, and it included them being worried, being anxious about what the future held, being anxious for their very lives because of the circumstances that they found themselves living in. And so Paul, uh, Peter wrote a letter and, and thankfully his helpful advice goes beyond just don't worry. So here we go. Peter wrote, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Peter starts with the instruction, the helpful advice, humble yourselves. Humility acknowledges that there's somebody in charge of the world and it's not you. Hum worry, on the other hand, involves us owning problems that were bigger and are bigger than God ever intended for us to own. Worry presumes that God's not doing His job and no one else seems to give a rat's. So I better take this on and make it my responsibility to worry. Humility on the other hand, acknowledges our own limitations and places us under the mighty hand of God, acknowledging how powerful He is. It surrenders ultimate control over whatever it is you're worrying about. And some of you struggle with this. 
Because one of the common characteristics, one of, common characteristics for people who struggle with worry is they have control issues. And I'm not gonna get judgy up here, but I wanna do a little test. Let's see whether you may or may not have some control issues. Let me ask a question. How many of you ever help other people drive the car? If you said yes, or were bold enough like Super Steve to actually raise your hand, you may have some control issues. All right, here's another question in the test. How many unread messages are currently in your email inbox? I mean, unanswered, just unread. You just like, the thought of them still being in bold. Well, if you've got zero, you may have some control issues. All right, here's one for you, Debbie DeBlank. Do you get spun up when somebody loads the dishwasher incorrectly? Yeah, all right. See, now now here's the thing about that. I knew that about you, DDB. Here's the thing about that question. There's actually two, two responses to that. The first response is, wait, there's a wrong way? Yeah, well, for those of you living in blissful ignorance, The rest of us want you to know, yes, there is a wrong way. And the way we answer that question is this, I weep for the future of humanity as I reload it properly. (laughs) If that's you, you may have some control issues. You know, some of you are sitting there right now thinking you could have designed a better test than that. Well, probably you have some control issues. The challenge for us and the opportunity for us is that we as Jesus followers can choose to trust in God's care so that we can trust God with our cares. Louis and I, uh, two weeks ago, we moved into a new old house. And I say new old house, it was built in 1956. And if you've ever moved into a new old house, you'll you'll know that uh, there's a list. It's it's not a fixer-upper, but it's a a doer-upper. And uh, 1956, uh, which by the way, when you think of an old house, it's all a matter of perspective. Four houses ago, uh, we owned a house that was built in 1923. And remember back in those, it was a weatherboard thing. And back in in, that time, uh, we were visiting Louis' family in Italy. And uh, they're all, you know, they're curious to tell us about your life and your job and where you live and this and that. And we, we would say to them, oh yeah, we live in this house. Oh, describe the house to me. Describe the house to them. It was built in the 20s. And they would say, uh, which century are you referring to? And we're like, oh, right. Yeah, okay. We're talking about Australia old, not Europe old. But it was built in 1956. And uh, anyway, we move in and you just start finding stuff that, that just needs a little bit of a fix and uh, I did a load of laundry. Now we've got a, a, a front loader, which is the only type of washing machine you should buy, a front loader. And um, the front loader, uh, it, you don't need to connect it to the hot water tap. You only need to connect it to the cold water tap and, and the water comes into the machine and the machine itself uh, bakes the water, <laughs> bakes the water. <laughs> brings the water up to the temperature. So, you know, it can be 30 degrees or, so that's the setup. So I just, so you only have to screw in the cold, the, 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 the pipe to the cold taps. That's all I did. And, uh, oh dear God, I did my first load of laundry and it finishes and it beeps. 
I go to the door, I open the door, instant steam facial. This thing, this thing burnt off my eyelashes. This, I'm like, I'd set it to 40 degrees Celsius. Now 40 degrees Celsius, I don't wanna go swimming in a pool that's 40 degrees Celsius, but I don't expect to actually, you know, baste and wither and die in there. My, I now am the proud owner of socks that have changed colour, uh, of shirts that would have fit me when I was six years old, but no longer fit me today. And I didn't put that much weight on in, in, in the last week since he moved in. I'm thinking something's wrong here. But I go, I check that the attachment was attached to the cold tap, not the hot tap. All right. Okay, all right, my life hack is I'm just gonna have to wash all my clothes on the cold cycle. Which if you're an active athlete and I am, that's not good. You stink, cold don't fix. Well, Louis, the original life hacker two nights ago says to me, did you test them? I'm like, test, they've got labels on. What's the test? That's just cold, that's just hot. And not only that, the cold tap's on the left, the hot tap's on the right. She says, maybe we should test it. So, you know, being a loving husband, I'll just play along. We get the bucket, we take the, we, well, sure enough, someone had labeled the taps wrong. But here's the thing about wrong labels. Wrong labels lead to wrong outcomes. And there's a good chance some of you are worrying simply because you have the wrong label of God. There's a good chance that some of you are worrying because you actually don't think that God is either willing and or able to take care of what you're caring about. And he needs to tick both boxes. He needs to both be willing and able. It's no point in him just being willing, but unable, that doesn't help. It's no good enough for God to be able, but unwilling, because that doesn't help. He needs to be both willing and able. And we need to have that label clear about who God is, that God is a God who loves us so much that He will, and God is a God that is so powerful that He can take care of the things that we care too much about. And if you're not convinced about God's power, let me just give you a few reminders. All this might be breaking news to some of you. Do you know that God with His power spoke the world into existence? Do you know God, when He was leading the the Israelites out of Egypt, um, instructed Moses to raise His hands and God by His power parted the Red Sea so that the Israelites could walk through? Do you know that God by His power fed over 10,000 people with a small boy's lunch? Do you know that God by His power caused crippled people to be able to get up and walk, blind people to be able to start seeing, deaf people to be able to start hearing, mute people to be able to start speaking? Do you know God by His power sent His only Son, Jesus, to die in your place? Do you know that God by His power raised that very same, because the good news isn't just that Jesus died in our place, the good news continues. He rose from the, again from the grave. He defeated death by God's power. And do you know that God's power was the very thing that started the work of transformation in your heart when you decided to follow Jesus? So in any circumstance, know that the faithful God who's done it before can do it again. And you don't have to be so worried. Peter goes on, be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion 
seeking someone to devour. Massive word pictures here, a lot of metaphors. A number of years ago, uh, Louis and I, we were working at Riverview Church and, and uh, part of our role, we, we were running various pastors, leaders conferences in different parts of the world. And this particular uh, year, we were, we were running one for North American church leaders in a, a, a ski town, resort town called Whistler in Canada. And uh, some of you know that it's, it was the Winter Olympics there, a couple of Winter Olympics ago. And a beautiful part of the world. And, uh, and so anyway, one, one of the mornings that we were there, I got up early to go for a run and uh, rather than running on the streets, because I didn't really know the streets, and I didn't know the traffic and so on and so forth, the, the, the resort, it's, it's a ski resort town in the, uh, in the wintertime and then it's a summer playground in the summertime. Summertime is water sports and, and golf. Golf is huge and a lot of very wealthy people go up there and I was playing golf at the time. So I thought I didn't have time to play golf because I was working at, during the day leading this thing, but uh, I'll just go and run like a loop of one of the golf courses. This one was designed by Golf Hall of Fame Jack Nicholas, and I'll just go and run up the first fairway, down the second fairway, across the third, back to the hotel. You can't get lost either going that way, no problem. So I'm jogging along, and it's, it's early. No one else is up. The golf course isn't officially open, so I didn't have to look out for low-flying golf balls. And uh, so I just jogging along. First fairway, oh, it's delightful, taking it all in. Uh, second fairway, third fairway. Turn onto the fourth fairway, blind turn, turn onto the fourth fairway. Big brown grizzly bear. I haven't even seen one in a zoo before. And, and, yet, and yet there he was. And I thought to myself, I probably shouldn't continue running towards that bear. <laughs> I haven't had breakfast yet and chances are nor has he. And so... So I just kind of I just kind of 180 and uh, I picked up my pace a little as well at that moment uh, while I was trying to tread gently and uh, and here's the thing I had to still make it back to the to the hotel alive I I I I didn't hear him chasing after me but you can be sure from that very moment I was on the alert for other big brown grizzly bears until I was in the safety of the concierge at that hotel that we were staying at so it seems a little kind of uh, redundant for Peter to write to, to, to people to be on the alert for a roaring lion. Now, now what we need to know is just prior to the, to the slice of this letter, uh, Peter had just spent time describing our relationship with Jesus using a metaphor that Jesus is a shepherd and we're the sheep. And, 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 and calling us sheep, it wasn't all complimentary. Sheep are knowing, known for being a little bit dim and a little bit timid. And, and so a slightly daft sheep who's a little bit prone to fear uh, shouldn't really need to be warned about being on the alert if there's a roaring lion nearby because if there's a roaring lion nearby and you're a dumb, half-witted, timid sheep, you'd probably notice. Peter's not talking about us being on, merely on the alert to the existence of the devil prowling around like a roaring lion. He's actually instructing us to be alert as to the strategy behind why the devil's prowling around like a roaring lion. See, the, 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 the devil has a strategy. There's a reason why he's prowling around like a roaring lion. And the reason is this, he's trying to scare the sheep and he's gonna keep at it 
and he's gonna keep prowling and he's gonna keep roaring and all he wants to achieve is just for one of those dumb, fearful sheep to cut and run. Just for one of those sheep to think that they'll be better off making a run for it than staying in close proximity under the protection of the shepherd. So he just keeps at it and at it and at it and at it. And if he can make you start to be fearful and start to worry and start to doubt God's willingness and start to doubt God's ability and start to take on the things for yourself and start to wonder if God really does care, if God really can, if God really will, And bring us to a point where we think, maybe I'll be better off in this situation, taking matters into my own hands. So you and I have been taught that when we're faced with confrontation, there's two options, fight or flight, right? Has everyone heard that, fight or flight? Actually, it's a little bit overly simplistic because there's a third one and it starts with F. There's fight, there's flight, and there's freeze. Because you, you, chances are you've been in circumstances where you didn't have the energy to fight or run. And so you just froze. And, and the, the enemy, the devil is still prowling and still roaring and you're just standing there and he's singing, mm, I love me a non-moving target. But here's the good news that Peter's trying to remind us is as Jesus followers, we're not limited to just three options of fight, flight, or freeze. We've got a fourth option, fix. Fix your focus on Jesus, not on the thing you're worried about. Fix your focus on Jesus, not on the devil. Fix your focus on Jesus, not on the sounds you're hearing, the lies that the devil's trying to tell you. In fact, fix yourself to Jesus. Don't run from Him, run to Him. Get closer to Him than the devil is to you. Because here's the thing, when we fix, and I gotta say this in the hood style because it don't work if I say it white boy style. When we fix, Jesus flex. You know, some, of you, some of you need a translation, I get it. Super Steve got it. He's from the hood, he's from the hood. Jared's familiar with hood speak. When we fix Jesus flex, when we fix Jesus flex, Jesus starts to flex, not just who He is, but what He's done. We start to fix to Jesus. He says to the devil, hey, I recognise you, recognise me. I'm the guy that defeated you. Jesus doesn't even fight the devil. He didn't even fight the lion. He just reminds him, he's already fought him and he's already beaten him. He's already won. In fact, devil, you know what? Guess what? I didn't just beat you over this worry about finances. I didn't just beat you over this person's worrying about their health. I didn't just beat you over this person's worrying about their relationship. I didn't just beat you over this person worrying about their kid's future. I conquered death. You thought you won when they stuck the nails into my hands. Were you there three days later? Yeah, you were. And you noticed that as I like to do, I had the last word. 
I had the last word over death. So I'm gonna have the last word over this person's kids and their finances and their health and their relationship and their jobs and their career and their future and their unknowns. And all we need to do is fix ourselves to Jesus. Now, I'm not dishing out simple, pat, pathetic, write it on a fortune cookie answers here. If you are worried about your financial situation and the root behind your worry is that you consistently spend more money than you earn, you need to do something more than just fix yourself to Jesus. You need to fix yourself to Jesus and go and get some financial counselling. If, if, you, if you're in a marriage situation that's, that's, that's struggling, then you need to fix yourself to Jesus and trust that one of the ways He's gonna care for you and take care of you is help you in a good marriage counseling setting. But all of it is grounded and rooted on this fundamental position that we need to adopt. And that's being in close proximity with Jesus, trusting that He cares enough to take care of us. See, um, I'm gonna edit a whole chunk of my message out on the fly just because last week I owe you nine minutes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you two back today. American uh, ethicist and priest, Father John Kavanaugh, passed away in 2012. But uh, while he was alive, he, he took a trip to Mother, and while she was alive, took a trip to Mother Teresa's uh, home for the dying. And uh, when he arrived there, Mother Teresa asked him the question, uh, what do you want? And he said, I, I want you to pray for me. And Mother Teresa asked him, okay, what do you want me to, to, to pray for? And he said, I, I, wanna, I want you to pray for me for clarity. And she said, no, I won't, I won't pray for you for clarity. Because actually clarity is the one thing, the final thing you need to let go of. I'm gonna pray for you for trust. And he said, well, it doesn't sound right. You, you, you've always had such clarity, Mother Teresa. She said, I have never had clarity, not one day in my entire life. The thing I've had is trust. So what I'm willing to pray for you for is trust. And some of you, the way you're gonna abandon being so consumed by worry is to let go of this false idea that you're gonna always have clarity around your future, around your circumstances, around what other people are doing. And then you're gonna abandon clarity and embrace trust in a God that's willing and able to take care of what you've been overly caring about, AKA worry. <laughs> and look, I understand if we'd promoted this uh, 
message topic today and you'd read it, we're gonna talk about hacking worry with trust. That maybe some of you would have came here with the expectation that, that I'm gonna show you how God's gonna swoop down with His wand and give you a little abracadabra and, and all your worries are gonna just magically disappear and you're gonna walk out of here and think, wow, was it Jesus or the coffee? I don't know, but I just feel great. <laughs> but I've said this a few times in recent months, that's Jesus the magician. And He never set Himself up to be Jesus the magician and He didn't ask you and I to follow Jesus the magician. He asked you and I to follow Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Messiah who we don't always know what He's up to. Jesus the Messiah who He don't always do things when we want them, how we want them, but at His core, He's faithful. At His core, He loves you. At His core, He cares more about the things that you're worried about than you do and that you think He does. And so whilst He's not going to wave His magic wand, He's calling us to greater trust. He's calling us, despite not always having clarity, to place our trust in Him and to follow Him to wherever it is that He's leading. And where He's always leading is always better. Some of you haven't actually made that decision to follow Jesus, the Messiah. Well, I wanna give you that opportunity right now. In fact, in a moment, for those of you that have never said yes to following Jesus, I just, what I'm gonna ask you to do is just slip your hand up and acknowledge Him like you did in primary school. Yes, teacher, I'm here. That you would say to Jesus today, yes, Jesus, I'm here and I wanna start following you today. And when I see your hand, you can put it down and I'm just gonna pray for you from here with you staying there. It won't get weird. But if you've never said yes to following Jesus, do that now. Take that opportunity now and just acknowledge that you're making that decision. Just stick your hand up and see your hand and put it down. And then I wanna pray for you. I don't wanna miss anybody in this moment. 